to James chapter 4. We have one scripture I want to show you before we dive into James. It's Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. And we talk about this a lot. The pastors mention this. We uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And in one sense, that's a, a, a passage for pastors. It's a passage really for everybody. Uh, yesterday, we went to a baby shower and we were so happy for this family. We're so happy that the way that God has blessed them, you know, and we see people that are having children or you see people getting the victory, you know, that did a wedding a couple of weeks ago and you just rejoice, right? And then, um, and then again, right after the, you know, baby shower, we go and we have uh, a meeting with, with a, a woman who, whose husband passed. And so that's really a, a significant part of the ministry. And, uh, and so, you know, praying that God would give us the grace to be able to understand that. And even through the valleys that the Lord is, is with us and he has this plan, even in the midst of all the, t- the troubling times and the tears. And that's why the word of God is so important, you guys, because the, root, the word of God will keep us rooted and grounded and today, as we go through the book of James, very practical stuff. But believe it or not, I think that sometimes these are sins that we're guilty of, uh, things that we don't realize are so significant. And if we would just surrender this to the Lord, I believe that God will bless. And so we're going to look at things like, for example, uh, number one, Christian critics. Uh, number two, Christian courts. Number three, Christian calendars. And then number four, Christian conduct. And so um, look at verse 11 of James chapter 4, where he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And so we know he's speaking to the church because he said that in the very beginning of the letter, but here he mentions the brethren again. And so he's talking about Christians, and he's just saying, you know what, you shouldn't be talking bad about each other. You shouldn't speak evil of one another, now, they, we got these Christian critics, unfortunately, and their words tear down other people. You know, in the Greek language, it's a negative present tense imperative. And so that is basically him saying, stop it. Stop talking smack about people. One of, one of the guys after first service, he came up to me and he said, yeah, I was uh, talking to my son about this. And we were having this little conversation and he said, you shouldn't talk smack or God's going to smack you. And I thought, oh, that's kind of, that's funny. He's all, because we were just having this conversation, you know. Um, it, the, the Greek word used here, it means to speak against. It actually comes from a root word found only one time in the Bible over in Romans 1 verse 30, where it's translated backbiters. And, you know, it happens, uh, not necessarily literally biting someone's back, but talking about them behind their back. You know, uh, what we find, I like what William Barclay said. He said, this is a sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information, which destroy the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. You know, and, and I think we've learned that James, he was a wise man. He knows the way people are, the way that we're wired, the way how it's so easy just to have loose lips and shoot from the hips and we're bent to backbite, even brothers and slander sisters. And sometimes we think without speaking or we don't realize 
God hears everything. God hears all the stuff that you say, that we say about people. I mean, if Alexa does, believe you me, God does, right? (laughs) She's recording you too, in case you guys didn't know that. But you know what? There are those who just, for whatever reason, they just talk. Maybe they chalk it up to freedom of speech. But I don't believe in that kind of freedom of speech. Yeah, we're free, but we're not free to sin. We're not free to do whatever we want. You know, what we find is the Lord, he, he warns us, Manny, I want to bless your life. You can put your name in there. Whatever your name is, I want to bless your life, but I won't bless your life if that's how you are. You, you talk about people. You speak evil about people. You slander the sisters. You backbite the brothers. And, and God is saying, I, you know, James is saying, it's not the, the recipe for us to receive the blessings of God. You know, you can read about it throughout the scriptures. You can read many Proverbs about it. You go back to the book of Numbers chapter 12, and we have an interesting story where Miriam and Aaron, they spoke against Moses, and it's an interesting story. We don't have all the details, but we know that what happened was Moses married uh, an Ethiopian woman, and so Miriam, his sister, um, and Aaron, they, uh, they found fault in that, and they began to question Moses' leadership. And, you know, they kind of say, who does he think he is? Who does he, he thinks he's like this, some exclusive ambassador uh, of God, and they started speaking evil against him. And again, we don't know the details. We don't know if they spoke to anyone else or if anyone else heard their conversation, but God did. God heard their conversation. It says that in Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. And, and so what God did was he called a meeting, and this is pretty much all he said to them. He said, why were you not afraid to speak evil against my servant Moses? And that's how I feel, you guys. And I think that we should be afraid. We should be afraid to speak evil against the brethren. And so what ended up happening was Miriam was struck. More than likely, she was kind of like the chief instigator. And she was kicked out of the camp for seven days. And that's a story to illustrate basically how God feels when we talk in such a way. You know, thank God um, he doesn't give us all leprosy um, or he doesn't necessarily kick us out of the church, you know, for seven days per se. But you got to understand that if we have that type of conversation and we stop, you know, gossip or whatever, things behind people's back, God, you know, you might not get sick, but you're not going to get blessed. Maybe God had so much more for you, so much more for you. But this is the way you live. And so God really wants us to clean this up. It's important and it's dangerous. Psalm 101 verse 5, it says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him, God says, I will destroy. And we're going to see the same thing in James chapter 5 and verse 9. And so you guys just want to encourage you, um, if you have anything to say, uh, um, you know, that's, you know, something you're like, well, they've got an issue or whatever the case may be, then take it to God. And then when you take it to God, he might tell you to take it to them. But don't take it to other people where you start spreading slander. That, that's what we, we have to have that heart. 
So be beware of Christian becoming a Christian critic, you know, to have that harsh, unkind, critical spirit that continually finds fault in others. James is going to say, like, who do you think you are? Are you the standard? Because a lot of times I think people think, well, I'm the standard. And one thing I notice, they're not like me. Good. <laughs> you are not the standard. As a matter of fact, look what he says next. After the Christian um, criticism and critics, we, we have the Christian court. He says in verse 11, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? James informs us that if we speak evil of a brother or sister, then in one sense we speak evil of the law. And what we find right here, it probably refers to the scripture. Some say it refers to the specific scripture that says you're supposed to love other people. But, but it's a big thing because God's word commands us not to say such things. You know, um, you, uh, if I were to tell you guys, if I were to take a poll and say, okay, how many of you know you're not supposed to gossip? You guys would all raise your hand, right? Well, I know. Okay, I'm not supposed to gossip. But if I were to tell you that, did you know that when you gossip, you judge the word of God? that you make yourself a judge like God? Probably a lot of us would say, well, I didn't realize it was that crazy. I didn't realize it was that intense. I just like to talk about people. I like to hear the juicy, juicy, right? <laughs> and the Lord says, no, you're, you're making yourself a judge. And it's a scary thing. You know, he goes on and he talks about how there's only one judge, there's only one God now, again, does that mean that we can never have anything constructive to say or disagree with people? Of course, you know, there is those times. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, uh, don't judge lest you be judged. But then he goes on to say, you try to take the spinner out of your brother's eye and you have a plank in your own eye. But if you really want to help your brother, then take the plank out of your own eye. So now you can help the brother who has a splinter in their eyes. So we do want to help people. There are biblical judgments and things and ways to deal with issues like Matthew chapter 18. It talks about, right, how we go to that person. If that doesn't work, we bring someone else. But, you know, when we're looking at this, we have to make sure we keep it in context because if we're not careful, you know, he says right here, then we make our, ourselves like above the law. We, may, we make ourselves judges. And he says right there, you're not a doer of the law, he says in verse 11, but a judge. Now, that's big in the book of James because the book of James has been emphasizing, do it, do the word. Not enough just to know it, but you, you got to live it. You want to be a doer of the word. I want to be a Christian. I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what he does, right? So, you know, if you're not, if you're talking bad, if you're, then you're, you're judging the law, you make yourself above the law, then you're not now, you're no longer being a doer. You're just being a hearer only. And James says that, that right there, that's a big problem. 
He says in verse 12, there's only one lawgiver. There's only one. Who's that? That's the Lord, right? He's the one able to, dis- to save, not you. Well, maybe if I talk bad about him, I'll save him or whatever. He's the one able to destroy. Well, maybe you're trying to destroy them. You can't destroy them. Who do you think you are? You're not God. He, this is where all this stuff belongs. Who are you to judge another? You know, it's a dangerous thing. It really is. You know, we judge in humility, but we have to make sure that we judge biblically. I remember when I was in junior high, uh, I, um, there was a guy, I, w- I went to parochial school. I went to St. Christopher's. Uh, it was in eighth grade. And I remember uh, there was this one guy in my class, in my grade, named Anthony Lopez. And he was a tall guy, and he was buff, and he was good-looking, and he was popular, and he was a good fighter. And so he was kind of like the main man on campus. Okay, so Anthony Lopez. You guys say that, Anthony Lopez. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so I want you to know who he is, okay? So anyways, one day, it was kind of interesting. A friend of mine, he led me over to like this courtyard area that was enclosed, and he put his arm around me, and he started talking about Anthony Lopez, and he was talking about him in a derogatory sense. He was saying, can you believe him? He thinks he's all that, and you know, all these different things, right? And and And... And by the grace of God, I didn't, wasn't a Christian then, but by the grace of God, I didn't join in. I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? Anthony's always been cool with me, and I kind of shrugged his arm off my shoulder, and you know, I started walking the other way, and it was interesting because right there and then, after that happened, Anthony Lomas, he came out of the bushes, and they were just, I guess they were just testing me to see if I would talk about him, join in, because then I have a feeling that Anthony would have beat me up if I, if I did. <laughs> and, and, and I was thinking, I'm like, Lord, that's kind of like you, how you test us, huh? You, know, you want to say something bad about someone, say it to their face. Or maybe don't say it at all. And then someone comes in and they start talking smack, like this one brother said, God's going to smack you. So, you know... <laughs> Don't join in. Just And I've taught, and it's really cool, I talked to sisters the other day, I was talking to someone, they said, you know what, I don't even want to go there. That's what we should do. Because God, in one sense, may test us. It's a big thing. You know, Christian critics, Christian courts, who do you think you are, the judge, the law, greater than God? No, you're not. Be so careful. It seems like some people are just so overly critical. And then the third thing, that, which is important as we're just learning about Christian life, look what he says in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And so the reason I called it the the Christian calendar, you're like, why do you call it that? It's because I, you know, when we make events on our calendar and our phones, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but you put the event in and you put the starting date or time and then you put the ending day or, or time, huh? And that's our life. There's a starting date and there's an ending date. 
And we all, we don't know that day. Hebrews 9.27 says we have an appointment with death. It's appointed unto man once to die. But, you know, we, sometimes I think we forget that it's on God's calendar. The day circled for us, you know, to die. And you might be here and you're like, well, that's not going to happen to me because I eat all my vegetables and I exercise and I'm in great shape. And I was reading stories about how people died like it was this crazy, randomly choking on a grape or a ceiling tile falling on them or how many people do we know that have maybe been in car accidents or just different things. You just, we don't know. And so James here, it's interesting what he says in verse 13, come now, you who say. It, it, Tony Evans said if, if spoken in modern vernacular, he, he would say something like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. You think that you can just plan your life without God? That God is not a part of like making your decisions and you're not really willing to tag your plans or your statements with, with he says specifically, you ought to say, Lord willing. That's what he says right there. Look at this in verse uh, 20, uh, verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what's your life? It's a vapor, appears today, and it vanishes away. Instead, he says in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And I don't know about you, but I think that for a lot of us as Christians, I know for myself, we literally say that, huh? We literally say that. The other day, I got a text message, an invitation. Uh, one of the brothers asked me if we would go to somewhere. And, you know, I, I texted him and I said, Lord willing, you know, we'll be there. I, I leave the house every single day. Every single day, I, Lord willing, I'll see, see you later. You know, and we're just, we say it. We say it because it reminds us constantly that, you know, no man has, has tomorrow guarantee. You know, James is not saying we shouldn't plan for the future. We should. We should plan for the future. You know, hopefully, you know, we, we've got a plan, you know, and hopefully it's something we prayed over. And, you know, you can, in those days, they would go and they would put their merchandise on camels and they would go from city to city and they would, you know, make their, their money that way. And it's okay to have a plan. You know, hopefully when... If I get a certain age, um, I'll have a little retirement or whatever. I know God will provide for me, but there's something, there's nothing wrong with planning. As a matter of fact, there's that maxim that says, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. So planning is good, but you just got to make sure that God is just saturated in that whole plan. You know, and that's all James is saying right here. You know, Proverbs 27, 1, it says the same thing. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You know, we read that story in Luke 12. I was wondering if you could turn there with me real quick. Luke 12, in verse 15, Jesus is speaking, and he said, Take heed... And beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, now really, I got to be honest with you, the main point of the parable 
is not to trust in riches. That's the main point. But he also teaches us something else along the way. He says in verse 16 that he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, I have an idea. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, kick back, cracker jack, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, this guy made a lot of money, uh, lots of crops. He's like, man, what should I do? What should I do? There's too much to store in my barns. And so rather than like being generous and giving it away and doing something good with the surplus, he says, well, I have an idea. I'll just tear down these barns. I'll build bigger barns. And then I can just kick back and enjoy my retirement for the rest of my life. And the Lord says, what a fool, because you're, you're about to die. You're about to die and stand before God. And then what, what difference will all those riches that you accumulated on, on earth make? You know, and there's a lot in this lesson. Uh, I think when we're talking about James, we're talking about the fact that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever your social status might be. You know, none of us really have tomorrow guaranteed. So we always have to live in light of that. The Lord might come at the same time. But, but, but also, I think, you know, like, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with, your, with the life that you have? Some people, they are just so consumed with materialism. Well, I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to get whatever, that kind of house. And I'm going to get that type of life. And I'm going to get that type of retirement. And I'm going to get that type of, you know, fun. When for me, and nothing wrong with fun, and like I talked about, nothing wrong with some of those goals and stuff, but our life must be consumed in what God wants me to do. We're talking about how much more important are spiritual riches. So when I think of the fact that one day, and it could be any day that I stand before God, I want to be busy about his business. And so, you know, back in James, I think that's one of the things that we learn. You know, there's another passage, really cool passage in Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So when you get older, um, how many of you guys, I'm seeing a few older people here, not many, there's a few of you here. Mark, he's a little older than me, not much, but I'll bet you almost anything he would tell you that when he wakes up in the morning, he thanks God for another day. That's what we, we begin to do, you know? I mean, we do. And I think that part of it is just the Lord 
has taught us. Thank God for another day with my wife. Thank God for another day with my children, with my friends, with my church. God teaches us to number our days. Because when we start realizing that every day is a gift, I think there's the wisdom that accompanies it. You know, I realize that I might not live tomorrow, so I have life insurance. You know, guys that don't have life insurance and you got a family, I mean, to me, you're playing Russian roulette. We should have something that we can leave behind to our family so that hopefully they'll make it. I tell my wife, until you meet some billionaire or something, we're, you know, this will cover you for a few years or something. I don't know. But all I'm saying is that, that that's just me understanding that I might, not, I, might, I might die soon. Or there's other paperwork that we have to get together that God's been convicting me on. I want to get the clutter, you know, and, and kind of like lessen the clutter. That way my kids don't have to be like, what's all this, you know? Because you're just really cognizant of the fact, you're aware of the fact that life really is, it's a vapor. In one sense, we're invincible, but in another sense, we're fragile. You know, no one's going to take our life until God says, but you don't know when God says. And so we have to be aware of this. C.H. Spurgeon said, there are a thousand gates to death. And though some seem to be narrow wickets, many souls have passed through them. Men have been choked by a grape, killed by a tile falling from a roof of a house, poisoned by a drop, carried off by a whiff of foul air. I know not what there is that is too little to stay the greatest king. He said, it is a marvel that man lives at all. And so we have to know, you know, who we are. You know, for us, I think it's good to be able to tag each day with, with Lord willing. Paul the Apostle, he understood that tag. In Acts 18.21, when he was leaving Ephesus after he had planted the church there, he said, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. That's what he said. He said something similar in 1 Corinthians 4.19, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And then again in 1 Corinthians 16.7, I mean, I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. And, and I think, to me, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but, I mean, do you guys say that? I'm just curious. How many of you guys say that? Some of you do, okay. Um, the rest of you, get on your knees right now. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I don't know if it's just me being legalistic. I'm still trying to think this out. But I, I think, like James says, we ought to say it. Because there's something about saying it that reminds us of these things, you know? But at the end of the day, we all know it has to be really an awareness or an attitude of the heart. And so God help us in this. You know, in early church history, there were a lot of writings that they found with, uh, that were written in Latin with the initials D.V. And the words in Latin mean Deo Volente. That's how they would sign their letters, you know, Lord willing. And so James here, he, he informs us about, you know, the Christian calendar and how it's not just foolish when we arrogantly take tomorrow for granted. He actually said in verse 16 that, that it's evil. Look again in verse 16. But now you, you boast in your arrogance. He says all such boasting is evil. And so we read the last thing after Christian critics and Christian courts 
Christian calendars, his Christian conduct in verse 17, where James says, therefore. And so he kind of connects it to the preceding verses, that him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know, we have sins of commission. These are things that we do that we shouldn't do. But we also have sins of omission, things that we should do that we don't. You know, and I can think of a million things in my own life, people that I should visit, letters that I should write to people who are in prison. I mean, I think about um, how I should pray more. I think of a lot of things that I should be doing that I don't do. And so, you know, God help us to, to grow in this. And what we're finding right here is that, you know, it's not just the things that you do that you shouldn't, but the things that you don't do that you should. And what James is just trying to bring us to is to a place of just mature Christian living. We're not going to be perfect. We're not, we're not going to be perfect until we go to heaven. But we should be striving to hit that mark every time. And that's what I think we end with. You know, I know for myself, when I read that last section right there, I, I think of Romans seven thirteen through 25, how there's a lot of things that I want to do that I don't do. And then he goes on and he reads in the book of Romans, he says, but thank God for Jesus who saved me from this wretched man that I am. And then he goes on in Romans chapter 8 and he talks about the Holy Spirit, how when we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it's a different life. It's only then that we can walk on water. It's only then that we can move mountains. It's only then that we can really live that Christian life. And when we went up to the mountain, I tell you what, man, there were some moments where I sensed and I felt, and I know we experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we were coming down from the mountain, I was telling one of the brothers, I said, you know, when we go down the mountain and we go into the demon-possessed valley or wherever it is that we're going to be, right? I was telling him, I said, we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. We can have victory. We really can. You know, by the power and person of the Holy Spirit. It's not a perfect life, but it's a life that matures. It's a life that grows. And so hopefully, you know, we, we do go forward, okay? But are you, are you ever going to be perfect on this side of time? No, huh? We're not. We still fail. And if I were honest, I would say I probably fail more than I succeed. Because when, when I compare my life, I got to compare my life to Jesus. And when I think about my life, it's not just, well, you know, man, he doesn't do you know, drugs or he's not sexually immoral or whatever the case may be. He doesn't drink anymore. You know, not just not doing the bad things. How about all the good things that I fail to do. And so it's then, as we close today, where I just thank God for Jesus. I just thank God for my Savior, who was nailed to a cross for me, who bore all my sins. Think about that. They were all laid on him, and then he suffered the punishment that I deserve. And they put him in a grave, but he rose again, just showing to everyone that death could not hold him. He defeated death. He is the giver of life. And the day, the moment 
that I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking with my head, I'm talking with my heart, where I believed on him, that moment, he wrote my name in the book of life and God came into me. That moment. And that's why when we're talking about all these things, whatever, Christian critics and Christian courts and Christian calendars and Christian conduct, it's, there's things for us to learn, but the most important part is to learn the word Christian. I am a true blue, blood-bought, bonafide believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not plain church. I am not half-hearted. I don't got one foot in, one foot out. No, I, I really do love him. And when that happens in our life, you guys, when we become Christians, it's just so beautiful to know that he washes away all our sins. You know, one day we'll die. I have a feeling. I mean, the Lord might rapture us soon, right? The Lord might rapture us soon. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'll just say it because I know people are going to interpret it differently. But more than likely, some of you young people, you're going to go to my family. Unless you don't like me, but I have a feeling that you're going to go. And then like Chuck Smith said, he said, and when you go to that funeral, just know that Chuck Smith's not dead. He's more alive now than he's ever been. This is our life. 